This is America on the Road, named Best Radio Show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Volkswagen has introduced a new electric vehicle brand, and in the process it has created a firestorm among its current dealers. We'll tell you all about that dust-up a little later in the show. A security firm has demonstrated that Tesla's door locks are vulnerable to hackers, and we'll give you details on that. And a prominent online retailer has just dumped a big portion of its workforce as it goes through tough times, so we'll have more on that too. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto-insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Nierad, and with me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, what's going on in cardom. Chris, a question I had for you. Have you rescheduled your family vacation? I know that was postponed a little bit earlier by illness. Where are you on that? We did, actually. So we had COVID, and we had to cancel our trip to Disney. Um, And my children were heartbroken, but we have rescheduled that trip for late June into early July, which my wife does not realize is the time of year in Florida when everything becomes an inferno. So uh, I'm looking forward to heading from what will probably be about a 70-degree day in Maine to about a 99-degree day in Orlando, but it'll be fun for the kids. It'll be a blast. You'll enjoy yourself no matter what the temperature. I'm sure you'll have a great time. And you have a vehicle that you will be telling us about this week that you road tested. What is that? I road tested and haul tested it as the 2022 Toyota Tacoma TRD Pro. Cool. Well, I got the chance to drive the 2022 Mazda CX-50 crossover utility vehicle. This was outside Santa Barbara, California, in the wilds outside Santa Barbara. Actually, it's kind of wild out there. You'd be surprised. The new Mazda is a departure for the brand. Uh, much more serious off-road capabilities than previous Mazda vehicles. So I'll have the full story on that for you. We also have what I think is a very good interview with our, our special guest is David Partlow. He's chief engineer on the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. I recently had a chance to drive that, the plug-in hybrid version of the Grand Cherokee, outside Austin, Texas. What a cool vehicle. So we'll get get the details from him in the interview segment. Uh, but before we do that, we'll bring you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world, including the latest on Tesla. So stay with us for that, uh, about the Tesla door lock situation. And we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Thanks so much for being with us. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack D. Red back with you. We're so glad you're with us. Uh, this is the news segment of America on the Road and uh, fascinating news we have. It seems like there's always some news about Tesla. And uh, the latest is this. Tesla, like many cars out there, has digital locks. And a security company has demonstrated that its locks, the locks on Tesla vehicles, are uh, vulnerable to hackers. They can actually hack into them. Uh, And fairly simply, it's a a problem, I think, is with the Bluetooth low energy protocol, is what they say. Um, I certainly didn't know that, but uh, that is what the report is. And what that allows the hacker to do is, is... do some stuff that they wouldn't otherwise be authorized to do, like opening your car door and getting in. How do you feel about that, Chris? 
<laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that Tesla, once now that they're aware of it, will release a patch and it will become a non-issue. At least I hope they will at some point in the near future. But uh, I think all cars are headed in this direction. You know, Teslas are more connected than the norm at this moment. But the the number of cars with that level of technology is growing by the day. So I think this is going to be something that we hear about more often. And I think uh, what might be the problem here for Tesla is their leading edge. They're also using a technology, this uh, uh, Bluetooth low energy uh, protocol is not meant for this kind of application. Uh, and so they use this. I think other companies are not necessarily using the same kind of uh, application or Bluetooth to do their uh, remote unlocking, um, which is fairly important <laughs> to do. Use, use the stuff for the stuff it's meant for. Uh, interestingly, uh, both uh, this also applies to a lot of home locks, locks on your front door, these uh, uh, smart locks where you key in a, a number or a few numbers and your door opens. Uh, they can also be hacked. So you've got that going for you out there. Well, I'm glad that my house is 250 year old and has uh, years old and has 1700s technology behind the door locks. So I think that uh, it's going to take a little bit more than a, a couple of lines of code to break into my house. Maybe a crowbar, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I have the similar kind of uh, technology, which I think probably dates back to the beginning of time, right? It's like a big deadbolt is uh, keeping people out, which is not a bad thing to do. Happily, people are not trying to crash <laughs> through my front door very often. They probably aren't at your house either. Yes, that's true. Here's a fun story, and it's fun for me because I happen to love the International Harvester Scout. Uh, in fact, this vehicle is the vehicle driven by the main character in this adventure novel that's about to be released that I wrote. Uh, and oddly, the Scout name is coming back, and it's coming back on an EV from, uh, of all people or of all companies, Volkswagen, which owns the right to Scout by owning Navistar, which uh, you know is a uh, now a Volkswagen company. In any case, they have announced the. Uh, intention to introduce a new line of scouts, including an SUV and a pickup truck. This, at the same time, has caused a bit of a dust-up with their uh, dealers who are afraid that they're going to be uh, eliminated from, this, uh, from the ability to sell this vehicle. Comment on that. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I can see from a dealer's perspective feeling left out in this uh Situation, you know, I think Volvo dealers went through the same thing when Volvo decided to start making or offering orders online. So, you know, from a dealer perspective, it's uh, it's probably annoying. But for Volkswagen, I mean, that's the best way. Uh, it's a good way, I should say, for them to reach their customers uh, and expand their brand, especially uh, as they try to take on more and more electric vehicles. So uh, I can see both sides of it. You know, Volkswagen has not announced that they will have a separate distribution or that they will be distributing this vehicle um, digitally. Uh, in a different way, going around their dealers. On the other hand, that's an implication by the fact that they've set up Scout as a separate company from Volkswagen, and these are not Volkswagen vehicles. Uh, they will be Scout brand vehicles. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that, but a lot of people want to buy online, so uh, that is also a possibility. Another possibility, I think, is the introduction or reintroduction of the fabled Volkswagen thing, as an electric vehicle. I'm excited about that. I, can, uh, I, I can't believe it will be called the Scout thing. <laughs> I would think that is so intrinsically Volkswagen. What's your take on the, the thing? 
Oh, I have some names in mind. The E thing, the thingy, you know, you could, <laughs> you could come up with a couple of different things there. I'm just happy to see Scout back. You know, I was uh, relatively obsessed with the brand when I was in high school. A friend of mine had one. I really wanted one. Uh, they very quickly became too expensive for, you know, my, at the time, finances. And the ones that I've seen up here have been chewed up through rust. So uh, I guess for me, it's a good thing because I'd like to see the see the name back out there. What do you think? Yeah, I'd love to see the name back out there. Uh, again, I love the vehicle uh, enough to have uh, the main character in this uh, suspense novel I've written uh, drive one. I just thought it kind of expresses how cool that guy is because I think it's a cool vehicle. I'm not convinced it really is a cool vehicle uh, to drive. You know, coming from International Harvester, that seems uh, almost the opposite of cool in a lot of ways. Maybe that's why I thought it was cool, but... Uh, you know, certainly having that come back is an interesting one. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. You can at least look great while you're driving your tractor around on the streets. Yeah, yeah. Love the tractor, right? <laughs> we should talk about Carvana, Carvana here because they've uh, run into more than one little difficulty. One of the things that's happened to them, and of course they're the major online, national online used vehicle retailer, They've uh, had their dealer license suspended in Illinois. It's always ironic to me that they advertise that you don't buy a car from Carvana from a dealer when they are a dealer. They have dealer licenses and they can't sell cars without a dealer license. So they're a different type of dealer, but they're, they're certainly a dealer. Except in Illinois right now, they're nothing because they uh, don't have their dealer license. At the same time, they have laid off about 12% of their workforce, 2,500 employees were recently laid off by Carvana. Number one, I, I'm surprised that Carvana had 2,500 employees to begin with, a lot less that that's only 12% of their workforce. But many of them were laid off with Zoom calls, which <laughs> seems kind of a, a low way to let people know that they're uh, being let go. Uh, what's your take on this whole dust-up? It's interesting because Carvana, I think it was a couple of years ago now when the, when the pandemic really started shutting everything down, that uh, they really emerged as a force in car buying, especially you know when uh, the microchip shortage shut down or very much slowed new car production. Uh, they became they were purchasing cars left and right for prices that people thought were outrageous, um, and I can see now how that <laughs> might come back and bite them. You know they're quoting a, a downturn or, or a recession. I think was the word they used in the car buying public. Uh, I'm not sure that I fully buy that, although I don't have data in front of me. I think anecdotally we're seeing. Still pretty strong sales. Uh, and then the thing in Illinois, you know, uh, how do you get to be 20,000 plus employees and not be able to handle out-of-state registration permits and whatnot? Uh, it just, it baffles me. Yeah, I mean, just doing the basics of being a dealer, being uh, doing what you have to do in Illinois to stay legal strikes me as very, very important. I think what it points out, much more so than there's a big uh, recession in the car industry, which isn't really the case, there is a supply problem, and maybe that points out the difficulty with Carvana's business model. And they are selling one thing at a time, right? They, a, a new car dealer is selling a bunch of different, a bunch of the same thing, right? Or a car manufacturer is selling five hundred thousand uh, Ford F one fifties. Carvana is selling an individual used car at a time, and that becomes difficult, especially when the used car market has essentially dried up or become much more competitive. Uh, I think that's what has uh, put them in trouble. And, you know, they lost a ton of money. Um, their first quarter uh, was a $260 million net loss. Wow, I'd love to have $260 million to lose, right? <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> That's a big loss. Yeah, again, I just don't see how they didn't see this coming. Uh, you know, given the prices that they were paying for those cars, knowing that the situation was going to remain the same forever, uh, it seemed irresponsible. And I'm I'm just speculating here. I don't have again any data in front of me to back this up, but uh, you know, it seems like someone would have said at some point, you know, maybe we should slow down. <laughs> Yeah, slow down. At the same time, when you're chasing Wall Street money, I guess you can't slow down. And maybe that's a, that's a trouble <laughs> with the, the industry as a whole or more than our industry. Well, when we come back, it will be road test time and we'll be road testing two very interesting vehicles. I was road testing the uh, Mazda CX-50, a brand new vehicle to Mazda. And Chris, you were road testing and will be road testing the uh, Toyota Tacoma. So stay Correct. With- Yeah, good. Well, I'm glad I got it right. (laughs) Occasionally I get things right. Not all the time. So stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Red with you. We're so glad you're with us. We really do appreciate you listening to America on the Road. And I appreciate Chris T. co-hosting with me. It's always fun to talk with him about cars. And Chris, you have a really interesting vehicle to talk about. This has been a stalwart in the market for a long, long time. You're testing a really interesting version of it. Tell us about it. I'm excited, Jack. It's been several years since the last time I got behind the wheel of a Tacoma. And, uh, you know, we've talked about my Toyota fanboy dumb several times on the show. So uh, for me, it was a a welcome addition to my driveway for the week. Uh, I tested the TRD Pro model. So this is a sort of top range topping model for Toyota with the Tacoma. Uh, the price tag came in at 50505 which is quite a ways away from the truck's starting price, which is around $30,000. So uh, quite a bunch, quite a big jump in price tag for this truck. Interesting color that came with the TRD Pro. This is an exclusive color for the trim level. It's called Electric Lime. Uh, the crossing guard at my daughter's school jokingly called it high-vis orange or high-vis yellow. Uh, and when they stood next to it with their high-vis jackets on, it was very hard to see where one person ended and the truck began. So uh, I will say that if you're looking for to blend in with the crowd, that color is probably not the one for you. Uh, this truck's got a five-foot bed. It's got a 3.5-liter V6 with uh, 278 horsepower, 265 pound-feet of torque. The power hits all four wheels through a six-speed automatic transmission. Uh, I will say that this truck could use probably 30 more horsepower to do uh, and a little bit more torque to make things feel just right. I think that uh, you have to make the engine work a little too hard to get the truck moving. And with the TRD exhaust that this truck came with, it uh, it could be quite loud in the process. Uh, Jack, have you driven any of the TRD variants of Toyota's products? I have. I think we tested a 4Runner TRD Pro with a similar paint treatment and a similar engine, I think. In a lot of ways, that vehicle is the SUV version of the Tacoma pickup truck. They're built on the same platform. So yeah, I've had experience with it. And yeah, I I kind of agree with you. I think it maybe could use some more power at the same time. I think it's got some nice low end to it. And that's really useful when you go off road. I'll agree with that. And I, you know, just like you get with a Jeep Wrangler and even to some degree, the Ford Bronco, uh, there is some trade-off here with on-road comfort and off-road performance. So the TRD Pro gets uh, a lift kit with uh, TRD suspension, uh, beefy off or all-terrain tires, I should say. It's got skid plates, uh, and it rides a little bit higher than a standard truck, so it's it's quite tall. 
Um, and on the highway, that can it can wander a little bit. It can take on the wind, and you definitely feel those things more than you would in a sedan. But at the same time, you can't go rock rock crawling in a sedan, and you can do that in this truck. So I think there's a sort of give and take with this uh, these types of vehicles that people should be aware of. Uh, but in any case, uh, the Tacoma TRD Pro gets an upgraded version of the infotainment touchscreen inside. Uh, the base model's got a 7-inch display. Uh, my tester had an 8-inch display. It finally has Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which is something Toyota's been very slow to add to its vehicles. Uh, it has a, a nice upgraded sound system. This vehicle has navigation uh, and a full suite of safety tech, too. So um, inside this truck has uh, synthetic I don't want to say vinyl, but a synthetic upholstery that seems it's very easy to clean. Uh, I took it to the greenhouse and hauled plants and was able to just wipe the seats right out. There was no dirt left whatsoever. Uh, the kids hopped in after a soccer game last weekend, muddy feet, and just wiped it right out. No problems at all. Uh, it's a very spacious truck inside. Jack, I know you guys have a little bit larger family than I do, but have you ever tried to, to carry a family or you know more than a couple people in a midsize pickup truck? And what do you think the Tacoma would do with that for you? I think it would be reasonable. Uh, I, uh, what I would wonder there is where I, where do we carry the stuff, right? I mean, three people would probably fit in the back, okay, but then what do you do with the stuff? I guess you have this huge pickup truck bed where you could put stuff in. I guess that's what it's for, isn't it? Uh, but at the same time, that's not lockable. So in terms of lockable storage, you kind of be up against it. But uh, in terms of creature accommodations, probably squeeze three in the back, okay? Yeah, we did actually uh, take one of my daughter's friends home and I had my, my two children and my wife in the car. Now, to your point with storage, uh, carrying two people even in the back seat makes it difficult to carry anything unless you have a tonneau cover or a bed cap on to keep things from blowing out of your bed. So uh, if you're hauling mulch and rocks and things, which I did, you can just throw it back there. But if you have something lighter, it's going to blow around while you're driving. Uh, you got to try to put it inside. And with people there, that can be uh, a problem. But what I'll say, Jack, is, you know, we spent a week with this truck. I didn't get to take it off road, so I'm not going to give it a review on that. But I will say this. It's it's spacious inside. It's a comfortable truck. I wish it had more power. I think it's going to be just fine for most people. Uh, I think it plays a very happy middle ground between uh, the Mavericks and the, the Hyundai Santa Cruz's of the world and the full-size pickup trucks. Uh, and it does so with style, right? It's a little bit more aggressive looking than a Ford Ranger or like a GMC Canyon or a Chevy Colorado. Uh, so it stands out. Uh, and all around, Jack, I had a great week with the truck. I still have it until tomorrow, so I'm going to try to get out in the mud and maybe I'll update us next week. Yeah, have some fun with that because it is terrific and it does have this incredible off-road reputation that dates back decades, uh, the Toyota Tacoma, so... Excellent vehicle there, I think. I was driving a vehicle that is all new, all new for Mazda, all new to the world. It is the Mazda CX-50. Don't confuse this with the CX-5, although it's easy to do. There's a, a zero after the five, and it's a different vehicle, a uh, completely different vehicle. And it does not replace the CX-5. It supplements it. And it takes Mazda into a place where it has not traditionally gone, and that is the out, out of doors, or I guess every vehicle is driving out of doors, one hopes, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of confined in the garage there. Uh, but this is into the off-road area where uh, Mazda really hasn't played. They've been, even their all-wheel drive vehicles have been on-road vehicles, much more so than off-road vehicles. But this is intended to go off-road and uh, to prove that. The Mazda people sent us off-road outside Santa Barbara, California, so we had some opportunity to do some off-road driving there on a, a fairly difficult course. Uh, it's all about adventure, right? And uh, even if you don't adventure yourself, looking like you can maybe is the cool thing. 
The CX-50 is available in an amazing number of packages. There are 10 different styles of CX-50 available on the market, so you can find one that, that suits you very, very well. Uh, many are powered by a 187-horsepower 2.5-liter engine, and then you can get a 256-horsepower 2.5-liter turbocharged engine as the up-level, uh, which is pretty, pretty nice. And uh, I tested, that's the one we tested most often because they, they put us in the one that we probably like the most. They all have a Mazda Intelligent iActive all-wheel drive. You can't get one with front-wheel drive, which is interesting and I think kind of proves that they want this to be an off-roader. At the same time, it really doesn't have the off-road modes that a Jeep would have or something like that. Uh, there are drive modes that you can select with the uh, MI Drive Control and uh, I think in an interview we did with Dave Coleman a few weeks back, they talk, he talked about the philosophy of this, and that's to have the vehicle feel the same no matter what drive mode you're in, which I think is an interesting take and probably fairly logical thing to do. And um, so it's kind of cool on off-road, uh, off-road terrain. It actually feels quite good. It's, it doesn't feel like you're on the road, but uh, is, is a good-feeling fe vehicle, certainly. Uh, has pretty, plenty of capabilities, probably for anything that a uh, Mazda driver would want. What do you think about Mazda deciding to uh, become an off-road brand, Chris? Well, I think anything that they do to expand their appeal is a good thing for them. And I think that their current vehicle line, so prior to the CX-50, uh, they were known as a sort of staid, upscale, almost luxury automaker with vehicles that were fun to drive and, and engaging and, and go, cool to look at. So expanding that to, and I'll use the term, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way, the sort of soft road crowd, you know, where it looks like you could go off-road or it could easily go light off-roading, but uh, it's not going to go rock crawling. I think that appeals to a huge group of people because they can get the family out uh, and do their thing. Uh, I don't think I'll ever see Mazda releasing something like we just talked about, the TRD Pro, uh, that sort of off-roader. But I think it's a good step for them. I do, too. I think it makes a lot of sense. And again, looking like you can go off-road is a selling feature. And these vehicles actually will go off-road and do pretty well at it. I like the level of features in the entry-level vehicle. Uh, it has a lot of uh, features, including an 8.8-inch uh, center console display, eight-speaker uh, audio system. It has wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, so that worked very, very well. It has the Mazda infotainment system, which takes a little getting used to. It uses a controller uh, when a lot of people are, a lot of companies are going away from a controller, but this uh, uses a controller and some touchscreen too. It's kind of a a hybrid now. It has USB ports, remote keyless entry, push button start, so uh, digital uh, display. So entry level vehicle of around twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars. That's a lot of you know pretty darn good stuff. And then you can t you start up the ladder, and it's it's a ladder with uh, ten rungs on it. One of the rungs that all of them have, or one of the uh, bunches of features that they all have, is the advanced safety features. They all include a smart city brake support with pedestrian detection. That's, uh, you know, front, front collision detection, essentially. Blind spot monitoring, driver attention alert, lane departure warning system, lane keeping assist, rear cross traffic alert. So that's a robust collection of uh, safety items. Uh, what do you feel about that, Chris? Uh, certainly that seems uh, like a, a pretty good array of standard safety features. 
Yeah, it's a great value pack if you think about it. And, you know, it helps them compete with Toyota and Honda and to a degree Nissan because they have taken uh, they've started putting Honda sensing and, and Toyota started putting his their uh, safety packages in as standard equipment now. So in order to compete, you know, Mazda's got to do things like that to uh, to stay up with buyers. Yeah, and I, I did like the turbo package, too. I did spend a lot of time, though, in the turbo premium package with the aforementioned very powerful turbo engine. That felt excellent. And they use a six-speed automatic transmission, which a lot of people look at as maybe being a bit antiquated. But when I heard the rationale for the six-speed, which is you get power right when you dip into the accelerator with this, there's no hunting of gears because you're in a gear where there's plenty of torque, that made sense to me. So I, I think there's a lot to like about the feel of this thing. There's something different, I think you would have to agree with me, Chris, about the feel of most Mazdas anyway, and they have taken this to the off-road in the Mazda CX-50. I agree they're different, but it's in a very good way, and I can't wait to get behind the wheel uh, and drive one. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this Meridian package. It should probably cost in the neighborhood of $45,000, which is very expensive for a vehicle of that size, but uh, all of them are worthy of a look. So the Mazda CX-50 is in Mazda dealers right now. So take a look at that, and uh, I think you'll like what you see. When we come back, our special guest will be David Partlow. He is chief engineer on the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. So stay with us for that, and we'll be back right here in just a minute on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. This is Jackie Red with you, and we have a terrific guest for you. His name is David Partlow, and we are driving the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. He is the chief engineer on that vehicle. So, uh, number one, David, welcome to America on the Road. Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Oh, Jack, the uh, pleasure's mine. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to come out here to Austin and out to the ranch to uh, uh, both drive on-road and off-road and experience, you know, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. This is a vehicle with amazing off-road capabilities, but let's get to the basics first. This is a plug-in hybrid version of the Grand Cherokee, a vehicle we like a lot. Uh, David, tell us why a plug-in hybrid and what about a plug-in hybrid makes it so good for off-roading? Okay, so the, the beauty of a plug-in hybrid is it allows you to um, become accustomed to an electric vehicle. And what I mean by that is there is a 17.3 kilowatt battery pack that can propel you for 25 miles um, and then from a which you can recharge at your house. So why 25 miles? Because 25 miles is what many of our customers need to, to manage their daily commute. But then in addition to that, we know that you know many, mo many people have trips over 25 miles. So there is a internal combustion engine. It's our uh, two liter direct injection uh, vehicle that we have a lot of history with. And it, it serves as an, a range extender, if you will, or you know, it, it, it eliminates that range anxiety yeah. and provides up to 470 total miles of range. So depending on how you use the vehicle, you might be able to use it pretty much as an all-electric for around town use. Uh, say my wife, who rarely leaves the 90266 zip code, could go around town, do all her errands, come back, plug it in at night, and essentially 
operated as an electric vehicle. At the same time, when we want to go skiing up in Mammoth, California, three or four hundred miles away, we have that ability too, right? Uh, that is correct. And actually, I have a Grand Cherokee 4xE, that, and I've been driving it for the last three months. And interestingly enough, I live about six miles from work. Uh, I can charge it at home. I can drive it into work. I can put it on the high, the, uh, high voltage charger, charge it at work, drop my daughter off at gymnastics, go home, and I can pretty much during my week uh, manage within that 25 miles uh, charging. And then uh, the beauty is like if I want to drive across the state of Michigan because uh, I have family on the other side of state, I just go ahead and drive. So there's there's no uh, nothing that holds you back. You have the beauty of being able to drive in electric mode, but you also have the freedom of an internal combustion engine with a you know very long range. Yeah, give us the data on the battery and the array and the range and all that. Okay, so the the battery is a 17.3 kilowatt hour battery. It can travel 25 miles in all electric range. Um, the total range of the vehicle, uh, including the 19 gallon gas tank, is uh, 470 miles. So, and, and really at that point, you just pull into a gas station like you would normally, fill up again, and you know your fuel tank is, repl is replenished. Right, and there's an MPGE figure too, right? Uh, that is correct. The MPGE figure is 56 miles uh, per gallon equivalent, would take, which takes into account the efficiency of charging the vehicle. And is your recommendation that people get a home charging situation for this and a level two charger, or, or what, what's your take on what's the best use of uh, the Grand Cherokee 4xE? So it really depends on your use pattern, but the vehicle does come with a 110 uh, charge cord. So you can uh, recharge the vehicle in about 12 to 14 hours from zero uh, to 25 miles. So depending on your life situation, if uh, 12 to 14 hours is your evening, right? Uh, I myself- I usually sleep 12, 14 hours a night. Yeah. <laughs> I don't sleep 12, 14 hours a night, right. but I'm usually home. Yes. Um, so, uh, right, it, we're kind of at a crossroads in that 110 can be adequate. Uh, the 210, the, the high voltage charging, uh, can charge um, anywhere between uh, two and a half, three and a half hours. So much, much quicker. It really depends on, you know, how frequently, you know, you use that vehicle. Right. And this is a 400 volt system, right? This is a 400 volt system. And tell us about the rest of the powertrain. It's a four cylinder <laughs> gasoline engine combined with the electric motor. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, and actually I'll start off at the very beginning. There's Please a, do. Yeah, there's a, a, a motor generator unit which replaces your starter and your alternator. And what that does is it provides engine, or it provides power through a belt to the crankshaft and it provides seamless starts and stops of the engine anytime you need to engage the engine. In, in addition, there is an electric EAC uh, compressor, which we're enjoying the benefits so, of right now. Yeah, electronic air conditioning compressor. Correct. Right, right. Uh, You're enjoying it, I think, a little more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> a little so warmer there there's me. an electronic uh, air, con air conditioning compressor on the front of the engine right. that maintains our comfort. And then you're right, we have our two liter direct injection twin scroll low inertia via, uh, powertrain which we've put in vehicles for many years, uh, so we know it's, it's, it's very durable. Um, coupled with that, we have a P2 motor, which is your primary drive motor, and it actually fits in the area where your torque converter normally is. So that's the electric drive motor. That is right. the electric yeah, drive right, motor. Right, right. It okay. fits in between the engine and the transmission, and it, it effectively provides that, elec that electric drive. The, that electric motor drives the Torque Flight 8-speed transmission, and then it goes to a 
uh, two-speed um, active transfer case, which sends torque to the front and rear wheels. And uh, tell us about the active transfer case, because that's an interesting technology too, yeah. right? Yeah, so we've, uh, for, the, for the Grand Cherokee, we've adopted an active transfer case. And the beauty of that is it's constantly sensing the torque requirements, and it can send, you know, 30% to the front, or it can send 50% to the back. It's not a fixed mechanical clutch, or a fixed mechanical transfer case. It, uh, it's variable. So that, that's what's really nice about it. Talk about uh, an electric motor and electric power in terms of off-road and the advantages. I think uh, maybe some of our listeners might be skeptical about that. I, you know, having experienced it, uh, I think you'll tell us there's a lot of advantages to that. But dive into that, would you? Absolutely. So, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, a part of this is we have our e-select modes. And I'll tell you about, you know, being able to charge or save the battery for later use. And, you know, some people are like, well, why would you want to charge or save the battery? Um, I can just do that at, at my wall. Well, the reality is um, driving off-road in electric one, it has very good torque characteristics in that you get instant torque at zero RPM. So you, you have this feeling of a lot of torque. Right. It's, right from tip-in, you have tons of torque. Right from tip-in, you have tons of torque. The, the electric motor has plenty of power. Actually, the electric motor in this vehicle powered a Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe with the engine off throughout the entire Rubicon Trail. So it's got more than enough power to be able to tackle your most difficult uh, obstacle. And what's beautiful about it is there's, there's no indication of a powertrain. There, there's no vibration that you would normally associate with a gas engine. There's no noise that you would normally associate with a gas engine. So um, on, on those nice mild days, you put the windows down and you're basically going through the outdoors in complete silence. It's, uh, it's a very, it's, it, it's an awesome experience. Well, it's also nice for going through a neighborhood, right? I mean, uh, you're just quiet. You're uh, in electric power. You're emitting no emissions at all. I, it's a good experience all the way around um, to the point where <laughs> you can sneak up on some pedestrians, I think, in, in the street, that kind of thing. Now, there is, a, there is uh, a, some noise that is generated by the vehicle. Uh, so that you don't uh, sneak up, on, well, you don't, I'll say, startle pedestrians. Yes, um, uh, there is a, a, a pedestrian noise that's generated to provide at least some low-level noise. We specifically targeted it to be uh, noticeable outside of the vehicle and not inside of the vehicle. Is that federally mandated or is that... Uh, it is, mm -hmm. and there's actually very, very stringent requirements as far as the frequency and the amount. So it, it kind of dictates how loud we have to be, mm -hmm. um, which this car is completely compliant. What do you think are the most interesting aspects of this vehicle using it day-to-day? -day? Just in day-to-day -day use, what do you think is the most interesting thing about it, David? Well, what, what I find really interesting is we talk about all-electric range. We talk about it being a plug-in vehicle. But, you know, one thing that, that I've really grown to understand with, with this vehicle is uh, there is also a facet of, about PHEVs that make them more efficient than other vehicles. Mm. And it's called regenerative braking. So on this Grand Cherokee 4xe, we actually have a feature where you can adopt even a more aggressive uh, regenerative braking to put more... Um, to recover more energy and put it in the battery. But something I never thought of when I was driving ICE vehicles is you can actually pull up on the menu in the electric vehicle pages. Right, we're doing that right now, by the way. I'll, I'll hold the microphone near the screen here. <laughs> you can go to driving history and pull up your regenerative history 
And like this shows right here on Wednesday, we recovered 30 kilowatts of energy to the battery just by not using friction brakes. It's virtually a one pedal driving experience too at times. Talk about that, would you? Let us know what that's like. It is. So when you're in max regen, when you first experience it, it's interesting because you let off the pedal and you feel some slight deceleration. You go, this feels different. It, it feels awkward. Uh, many people, when they first get in the vehicle, they go, hey, I don't know if I like that. But actually, my wife, many people that I know, they get in the vehicle and I'm like, just drive it for a week. Let's just drive it and experience it. And, and within a few days, all of a sudden you notice that I can actually drive with only one pedal. Meaning, I can, as I see the light turn red in front of me, I can let off the gas and the vehicle will decelerate to an almost stop, which then allows the light to turn green, the, the um, traffic to start moving. So that's one more way that just inherently this vehicle is training you to be more efficient because now I'm slightly slower up because I'm regenerating that electricity. I'm one foot of driving. And, and actually what I noticed too about one foot of driving is it's easier because I don't have to move my foot. Yeah, that's a ton easier, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's essentially like having uh, creep in a way built into the vehicle when you're uh, in a gasoline car that uh, is at very low speeds. It'll creep forward and then you just control with the brake, right? So that's kind of a one-pedal driving too, but this is a, a much more sophisticated kind of one-pedal driving, right? I would agree. Yeah. When you uh, think of uh, what you're trying to put across to people in a vehicle like this, you know, maybe there's the inclination to make it very different than the uh, gasoline, the conventional powered vehicle, or maybe there's the inclination to try and make it map pretty much the same. What's your take on, on that? How you want it to feel for the average customer? So the great news here is we started out with an incredible uh, architecture on the Jeep Grand Cherokee, and we knew all along that it was gonna have four by E. So we put the, we were able to package the batteries underneath the vehicle, and we even increased uh, interior space. Mm -hmm. So our, our strategy is to um, provide the customer that great same vehicle, that, that great architecture with all of those great features, and then adopt the P1, P2 um, PHEV powertrain, that same uh, powertrain that's, that's a, a, a very good seller in the Wrangler and in the Grand Cherokee. So uh, largely it feels like a conventional Grand Cherokee in driving, uh, but it's torqueier, right? Uh, there's a lot of advantages to it too, aren't there? Absolutely, because now um, if you're driving it in hybrid mode, you have both a gas engine and a, um, an electric motor. And when you start, the electric motor supplements the gas motor. It's very smooth. Um, in hybrid mode, it does prioritize electric over the gas motor. So if, if your driving conditions don't require the the gas engine to be engaged, it won't. Um, and you'll drive it all. And that's for mode. economy reasons, right? I mean, that's because it's cheaper to drive it under electric power than under gasoline power, right? That, that is correct. The system knows that electric miles are cheaper, so it always tries to use those electric miles right. first, but at the same time, providing that same power and torque that you were talking about, mm -hmm. it's actually faster in a zero to 60. It, the time to zero to 60 is 6.0 seconds. 
Um, whereas, say, our last generation uh, V8 5.7 liter vehicle was 6.7 seconds, mm -hmm. it's actually faster than 0 to 60 when you couple those two powertrains right. together. Well, thanks so much for talking with us about this. We really do appreciate it. Uh, from within uh, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe. David Partlow with Jeep, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. All right. It's always a, pr a pleasure, Jack. Thank you. And stay with us. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. This is Jack Nerad. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is listener question time, and I'm here with Chris Teague to answer your listener questions. We love taking your listener questions, so send them along to us at editor at drivingtoday.com. Editor at drivingtoday.com is the way you get a listener question to us. And here's a listener question from Bill in Pueblo, Colorado. He says this, A lot of people are saying a switch to electric vehicles is definitely going to happen. But guys I know think electric vehicles are too expensive and present too many problems for the average person. What do you guys think? Well, <laughs> I think that we're going to see both on the roads for quite some time to come. But I do believe that the shift to complete electrification or EVification, if you want to say that, uh, will come. I do agree that, that that currently for a lot of buyers, EVs are impractical uh, not just because of the cars, but because of the infrastructure that surrounds them. Uh, I think the cars are becoming better every every year. So I, I think those will be less of a problem. But uh, I do think we'll see both together for a while before we eventually shift to a complete EV uh, field. And I'm not even going to try to put a date on it, Jack. Yeah, well, don't try to put a date on it because I'm not going to try to either. And I'm going to give a pretty much a waffling answer here. I think, Chris, you and I agree that EVs are great to drive. They're really a lot of fun to drive. They're super smooth. They're quiet. They're, most of them are fast. There's just a lot to like about the driving experience. And then there's those two or three niggling issues that you alluded to when you talk about infrastructure. And it, it actually goes a little bit beyond infrastructure in that the range is limited and then you have to deal with that. And dealing with it isn't necessarily very easy. I mean, even if you have at-home charging, it's not necessarily easy. And if you don't, it becomes much more difficult than having a gasoline-powered car. So beyond that, of course, electric vehicles are still much more expensive than the comparable gasoline-powered vehicle. They just are. And the, the reason for that is the cost of batteries. And I guess that's our show for this week. Uh, Chris... Thanks uh, for joining us, as always. You give such inter interesting and useful opinions. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jack. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say, if you like what you heard and you want to take us on the road with you, you can head to sportsmapradio.com, hit the Saturday morning schedule. There you'll find our show plus a formatted radio podcast as well. Uh, and you can find our podcast on all the available platforms that are out there today. Absolutely. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And our profound thanks to the SportsMap radio network stations that carry America on the Road. We appreciate you carrying it. And most of all, we appreciate you listening to America on the Road. However you do that, uh, please join us again for the next edition of America on the Road. And we'll be talking to you then. This is Jack Red. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it.